Thank you, Terry, for leading us into that time of praise. Um, and yeah, it's just so important for us to be able to carve out time to pray. Uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do as an Uptown community is our Monday evening prayer meetings, and I've really just been enjoying them. Thank you for coming out. It's been so encouraging. Uh, but as our brother Terry reminded us, um, really just these songs that we sing, they're really prayers that we're praying up to God. So I found it so appropriate and very meaningful to be able to pray for so many other things that are going on, not only within our community, as uh, Terry reminded us, but even in this world, in Ontario, um, especially with the intensified lockdown and the government um, officials making decisions and the vaccine being rolled out slowly, all these things, all the more that we need to cover these things in prayer. So thank you for that reminder. Uh, we are going to go into a time of the message, and as we have been going, uh, I guess a few weeks ago, we began a new sermon series on the unstoppable work of the Holy Spirit, and already I can tell that there are so many questions that people have been emailing me, uh, whether it's through your life group or just individually. Thank you for those questions. Very helpful for me to just see where various people in our congregation is, are at uh, so that I can kind of tailor some of these messages to make sure that I'm able to hit on some of the misunderstandings that some of us might have. Actually, there was one question that came last week that I thought was a great question, and I actually didn't really give the best answer. Uh, if anything, I really need to correct myself. So I wanted to, before we begin the sermon, I just wanted to quickly have the opportunity to clarify something that I said, which was a little inaccurate, and to give a fuller, more biblical picture of that. So last week, somebody asked, uh, why do we ask the Holy Spirit to continually fill us as if it or as if he depletes over time? Are we not filled with the Spirit once and for all, once we first believe in him? And if we can just look at the slide because I have the question there. And I think the way I answered it last week was wrong because I said, yes, we don't really need to be filled with the Spirit anymore because his presence is upon us, is in us, is dwelling in our hearts. And that's permanently for those who will submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is partially true. Uh, for those of us who submit to the gospel of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in our hearts until we see Jesus face to face. However, uh, I think I said something like this language of filling by the Spirit is more of a metaphorical language that's really popular in the Old Testament. But that's actually not true. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul mentions, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And if you read through the book of Acts, you see how there were instances, this is after people have submitted to the gospel of Jesus, where the apostles or the believers, they are being filled with the Spirit. And how do you explain the two where if you submit to the gospel of Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in our hearts until we see Him face to face permanently, and this idea that somehow we need extra feelings of the Holy Spirit as if he depletes over time as this question asks. And the New Testament or the Bible doesn't really spell out the technical difference other than the fact that being filled with the Spirit is something that we need to be doing. And it is more of an intensified influence or maybe an intensified presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, the, the scripture doesn't really spell out the technicalities behind that. But all this to say is, as believers of Jesus Christ, we should be comforted and secured by the fact that His presence is with us no matter what. 
But at the same time, we are also called and exhorted to be filled with more of the Spirit, more of His influence, more of His presence, more of His intensity as we live our lives. And how do we do that? Again, Scripture doesn't really provide a scientific formula on that. But in those passages in the New Testament where it talks about filling of the Spirit, they're usually associated with things like praying, uh, especially in the book of Acts, the things like submitting to God's Word. Uh, that's why prayer and God's Word are things that all Christians should really strive towards. Community, loving, um, missions, these type of things that are really aligned with God's purposes. When we are doing those things, then God is going to want to fill us with an intensified influence or presence of His Spirit. And in those moments, that's where the apostles, Peter, uh, Paul, others in the New Testament, they were able to preach with extra boldness, with extra clarity, with extra passion because they were filled with the Spirit. So I apologize for not giving the best answer last week. It is both. We are continually, um, uh, we are continually gifted with the presence of the Spirit, but at the same time, we are urged to be filled with the Spirit as we live through our lives. But as far as today's sermon, uh, it's a little bit related, but a little different. Um, all flesh, all the time, and I'll expand a little bit more on the, the meaning of the title of this message. But this sermon, in some ways, uh, is part of a sermon outline, but there was one question that somebody asked this past week that I feel like really intersects well with the topic of this sermon. And somebody asked, once we submit to the gospel of Jesus, does it mean that the Holy Spirit is inside of us forever, permanently? Or is there something that we can do where we lose the presence of the Holy Spirit? And that's a really good question. And it's a question that I think a lot of us think about time and time here um, throughout our living. And the short answer is, for those who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, every single one of us, we have been gifted with the permanent presence, the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit until we see Jesus face to face. It is something that Jesus himself says, John chapter 14, even the Great Commission, uh, Matthew chapter 28, the very last verse, surely I will be with you until I, uh, until, throughout all the ages. Uh, we see this even Paul when he talks about we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1. That is something that is permanent. Um, and even in the moments of our weakness, even in the moments where we feel like we're a little lost with God, especially in those times, the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, as it says in Romans chapter 8. So scripture makes it very clear that every single person who submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that if is a big if, and I'm going to expand on that a little bit later, but for those of us who submit to the gospel of Jesus, we believe everything that he said and that he promised, we have been gifted with his very own spirit until we see him face to face. It is guaranteed, it is permanent, it is sealed in Paul's words. However, it's a great question because that wasn't always the case. And here is the structure of today's sermon is what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, briefly survey who the Holy Spirit is and how he interacts with us in the Old Testament and how it's very similar to the New Testament, which is our era, but in some ways it's very different. 
Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't permanently dwelling in the lives of God's people. In fact, the Holy Spirit wasn't even present in every single one of God's people. These two things, the idea that Holy Spirit is upon every single person who submits to the gospel, and not only in every person, but permanently, those two things, all flesh and all the time, every single person, all the time, permanent, those two things actually were not present in the Old Testament. I think we take those things for granted. And I think that's why sometimes we have seas of doubt. Is the Holy Spirit really upon me? And will the Holy Spirit always be with me? Because that wasn't always the case, as I'm going to show in the Old Testament. And the reason why I want to take the time to show this in the Old Testament is because this should actually make us appreciate all the more what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because this way of the Holy Spirit dwelling in all flesh all the time is actually unprecedented. Very a rare blessing. So let's take a quick dive into this. Uh, the first thing that I'm going to illustrate is actually I'm going to go through five passages from the Old Testament very shortly. Uh, so don't feel overwhelmed. And the first two passages, I just want to emphasize the similarities between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Because again, God is unchanging. His character is unchanging. And the first thing that I want to just really emphasize and establish, and I alluded to this last week, is the idea that the Holy Spirit is God. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit pre-exists even time itself. Holy Spirit was part of creation, in fact. Because again, Holy Spirit is God. As we see in the very first verses of the Bible, in the beginning, we all are familiar with this, even those who, grew, who didn't grow up in the church. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. This is before time even existed. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And then what does it say? And the Spirit of God was hover, hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and so on and so forth, the six days of creation. And basically, from the very get-go, it couldn't be even clearer than this. Very first verses of Scripture, it makes it explicitly plain that the Holy Spirit is not only God, not only pre-exists before time, but was responsible for creation. Remember, God is three persons, three persons, one God, and the Holy Spirit was part of creation. Not only was the Holy Spirit part of creation, but the second passage that we're going to take a look at is even right now, as we speak, as we breathe, the Holy Spirit is responsible for the maintenance of our own existence in our lives. The very breath that we breathe is being borrowed from the Holy Spirit. Even the entire universe, all the galaxies orbiting, all the planets orbiting, the gravitational pull, everything, all of that minute detail that enables this small speck called planet Earth in this vast universe to thrive and for life to exist and to flourish, all those things are sustained by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit isn't some mystical force that is just involved in church affairs, but the Holy Spirit is God himself. The Holy Spirit governs the maintenance of the entire universe all the way down to me taking my very next breath. As it says in Psalms, 
the psalmist writes in Psalm 104, how he talks about all the different creatures in this planet, all the different animals, not only land animals, but sea creatures and animals that fly in the air, the birds, all these different creatures, as manifold as it is, all of us, including humanity, we desperately depend our existence upon the Holy Spirit. As it says in Psalm 104, these, and this is talking about all the animals, and you can read Psalm 104 for the full context if you don't believe me. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Our very existence is utterly dependent upon God and in this case, is attributed to the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't really the purpose of the sermon, but I do want to mention this. This is a little bit off on the tangent. But especially in light of death being more of a reality. Again, if, if, if you've been with us, you know death is a horrible thing. It's an evil thing. I preach an entire sermon on just the evilness of death. Even though in secular society, they're trying to make death not so evil. And they're trying to make death a necessity, a needed part of life for us to appreciate life or whatever. But no, scripture makes it very plain, very clear. Death is evil. It is horrific. But 2020 with the COVID-19 and even with our demographic at Uptown as we're getting older and our parents are therefore getting older and we are seeing the fragility of our own, not only of our own lives, but especially our parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. Deaths, unfortunately, in this demographic is going to become more common for us. I mean, that's just the way of life. And as I've been walking through some of this with you guys over the past few months, you know, as much as I want to emphasize that death is evil, and it truly is, at the same time, death is our rightful sentence. Scripture also makes it abundantly clear that we as sinners, our rightful sentence is death. We, distorting, rejecting, suppressing God's character and his involvement, which leads to just evil, atrocious, rebellious, and wicked actions, thoughts, and words that are not only contrary to God's law, but that are just really unloving to our fellow neighbor and devastating to our own souls. That sin is egregious before God. And our rightful sentence is death. Every single one of us, our rightful sentence is death. Therefore, every breath that we breathe, every second of our existence is really a gift of God. It really is. Every breath, right now, how many breaths I've breathed during this sermon, those are all gifts of God and I am utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit giving me one breath at a time. Every single one of us. Yes, death is evil, but at the same time, it is our rightful sentence. And the life that we have, yes, we should definitely mourn for others, but we should also be so thankful and we should cherish these precious moments because they really are precious. They really are gifts from God himself. 
Again, that's a tangent, but I do feel like it's relevant. But back to the topic of the sermon. So the Holy Spirit is not only creator, is also the sustainer of all life. Holy Spirit is God after all. So in some ways, the Holy Spirit is very similar in the ways that he is described in the Old Testament versus the way he is described in the New Testament. However, the next three passages that I'm going to quickly survey showcases how the Holy Spirit actually works differently in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. In the lives of people, it's not so much that the Holy Spirit is on all flesh and on, on, on in us all the time, but it's only select individuals. And even for those select individuals, for instance, David, Moses come to mind, Holy Spirit is not upon them all the time, but it's periodic. It's a very interesting thing. Let's take a quick look. So for instance, Samson is a great, is, is a great example. Samson, uh, I, I think even those who didn't grow up in the church, I think some of us, we know Samson. I mean, just the, the story of one of the judges, one of the strongest men recorded in scripture. And his strength was so strong. It was divine. It was supernatural. He could do things that humans could not do because it was gifted by God. And God gifted these things in Samson so that he can deliver the people of Israel, God's people, from the hands of the Philistines because they were the enemies and they were stronger than Israel. So Samson was gifted with this divine, supernatural strength from God himself. But Samson was also somewhat of a a playboy, a womanizer. He loved playing around. He loved flirting. He loved playing games. He loved saying riddles. And there is this one girl, woman, lady, Delilah, that was up to no good. And she was trying to manipulate Samson. And Delilah was on the other team with the Philistines. But Samson didn't care. Because Samson was so arrogant. I mean, think about the strength that he had. Even if he was sleeping with one of the Philistines, he thought, you know what? What kind of problems could the Philistines ever put me in that I cannot just, out of my brute strength, rescue myself out of? So Samson was sleeping with Delilah giving her tips, all these different things. And Delilah was trying to seduce him and trying to figure out his secret. And one day, Samson finally told Delilah the secret, that this supernatural gift of strength was was symbolized through his long hair. So that if she were to cut his long hair, then he would not have supernatural strength. And in all of the different things that Samson did, all the deliverances, all of his heroic acts, it was attributed to the presence of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Judges chapter 14. Then Samson went down with his father and his mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came forward to Samson, roaring. Just think about being confronted with a young lion that's running towards you, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, And although Samson had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. Samson was super strong. And there are accounts with the Philistines that you can read on your own. But one day Delilah finds out his secret, cuts his hair. Supernatural strength is no longer with him. Holy Spirit is no longer present in his life. And what happens? After this, 
Delilah sets up an ambush. And Delilah says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. She knows. She cut Samson's hair. And Samson awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times. All those other times when I defeated the Philistines. And I will shake myself free. But Samson did not know that the Lord, the Spirit, had actually left Samson. He was perilous. Samson is a very intriguing case because even though he was captured by the Philistines, they tortured him, they gouged his eyes out, they made him into a spectacle, they were laughing, mocking at him. If you read the whole story, at the very last act of his life, Samson repents. And he asked God for one last time, send me your power, send me your strength so that I can destroy the enemies of your people. What happens? The spirit comes upon Samson and he's able one last time to destroy the Philistines. And this idea that the spirit kind of comes and goes is really showcased very nicely in a very... In just a very fascinating way in the life of Samson. Uh, the next example that we'll take a look at is David. David is also very similar. David is similar to Samson in terms of he was a hero. He was a warrior. He slayed Goliath. Lots of battles. Woman sang a song after David how he was able to slay thousands upon thousands of enemies, specifically the Philistines. Phil, David was also very righteous before God wrote the majority of our psalms. But David also messed up. David murdered. Oh man, he, he did a lot of things. But basically, he had sex with Bathsheba. He forced sexual relations with a woman who happened to be married not only to another person, but was married to one of the most loyal officials of David's army. I mean, that's just evil. And then to cover it up, he murders his loyal official. And then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. It's just hard. And he lies. It's just, he sinned egregiously. David is a great example in that he was filled with the Spirit for all of his victories all the songs that he wrote, he was filled with the Spirit. But with this sinful act, he recognized, like I mentioned last week, will the Spirit depart from me? Because this idea of God who created the entire universe, who sustains the entire universe, to be dwelling in our hearts, I mean, that's, that is just mind-boggling. David recognized that's mind-boggling. I'm so thankful for the presence of the Spirit. But with this sin where I essentially raped Bathsheba and I murdered her husband, who was one of the most loyal officials in my army. How could God tolerate? And that's why he writes in Psalm 51, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. David's pleading, I know I messed up. Even if I didn't mess up, I don't deserve your Holy Spirit. But especially with these sins, Holy Spirit, please don't depart from me. It's this idea that the Holy Spirit is on select people, not on all people. And He's not with them all the time. It's not a permanent dwelling 
he doesn't have a permanent abode within their hearts in the Old Testament. But the last passage that we'll take a look at in the Old Testament is there's actually a promise where things might change. There is a prophecy given by the prophet Joel, and it reads like this. This Joel prophesies, and it shall come to pass one day, something will happen that I will pour out my spirit. God is speaking. I will pour out my spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that created the entire universe. The same Spirit is the one who is giving us one breath at a time, sustaining the governance of the universe. This same Spirit is going to be not only on Moses, not only on the heroic judges like Samson and Gideon, but on all flesh. Every single one of us. People of Israel are thinking, what? On all flesh? This prophecy must be hyperbolic. Must be an exaggeration. On all flesh? Really? God continues in this prophecy through Joel. Your sons and your daughters. Not just the male figures, but also the women. And again, I'm not condoning this, but back in that society, women were completely marginalized. With the exceptional few, like Deborah, Miriam, you don't really see much women being filled with the Spirit, let alone taking a huge part of redemptive history. Because, unfortunately, in that culture, they were marginalized. The very fact that the Old Testament highlights people like Rahab, Miriam, Hannah, other women, Sarah, Rahab, who was a prostitute, it, that is just radical, countercultural. I mean, when we think about social justice movements, I mean, when we think about the way the Old Testament mentions these women and how they have a pivotal role, and especially in the New Testament with Matthew's genealogy on women and Paul saying there is now neither male nor female and how a lot of the early church leaders were women, that is just absolutely radical. If we were there 2,000 years ago or in the times of the Old Testament and we were reading these things, we would have scratched our heads and be thinking, this God must really care for all different types of people. But anyway, going back to this sermon, Joel is saying this spirit, presence, all flesh, men and women. Young men, I'm sorry, old men, not only elders, people who are esteemed, but even young men, people who are so maybe immature, who haven't experienced, you know, the, the, the ups and downs of life. Even young men, and old men, age basically is not a barrier. There is no discrimination. Holy Spirit is going to be on both genders, on the old and the, and the young. It doesn't matter what the demographic is. Even on male and female, even servants. A better translation is probably slave. Uh, not like American slavery where that's just, wow, that's just evil. It's just intensified. But not just a servant. Basically, every type of social group you can imagine, whether it's male or female, whether it's young or old, whether it's the elite and the rich and the socially important, or the servant slaves, the people who unfortunately are marginalized, Holy Spirit will be upon all flesh. I mean, just think about it in the Old Testament days. You're thinking of all these stories of Moses, David, Abraham, Joshua. The list goes down the line. And you're thinking, wow, they were filled with this. But what was that like? 
What would it have been like to be filled with the Spirit? Oh my goodness, that must have been amazing. I wish I won that lottery. I wish just for a second that I can experience this dwelling of the Spirit. And you hear this prophecy from Joel. You're, 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 you're rubbing your eyes, you're, you're taking the, the earwax off your ears, and you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, one day? The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that created the entire universe, the same Spirit that is governing the universe, this same Spirit is going to be on all flesh? Man and woman? Poor and rich? Young and old? I, really? Will this actually happen? And it's because in the Old Testament, as much as God was involved in people's lives, He wasn't involved with that level of intensity until later. And that brings us to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, I'm going to read a passage, one of the very first sermons after Jesus died and resurrected. After Jesus died and resurrected, His Spirit was upon His disciples, as we talked about last week. One of His disciples being Peter. And Peter... Maybe the very first recorded sermon after Jesus' resurrection, he quotes this same exact prophecy from Joel. Let's take a look at what he says. In Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and Peter, standing with the eleven. At this point, there's only eleven disciples, apostles because of Judas betrayed and Peter this is after Jesus' resurrection he lifted up his voice and this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel same exact prophecy in the last days it shall be that God declares I will pour out my spirit on all flesh sons and daughters young men and old men the order is, is reversed here on male service and female service in those days I will pour out my spirit and what Peter is essentially saying is that same prophecy in the Old Testament, centuries ago, through the prophet Joel, because Jesus died and resurrected, because he died for all of our sins, he resurrected so that the Spirit can be upon us like we talked about last week. This prophecy, this promise that you thought was an exaggeration, that was just too good to be true, is now being fulfilled. Has now been fulfilled through Jesus. What Peter is saying is this ancient promise where one day the Spirit will be upon all flesh. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how important your family is. It doesn't matter how poor your family is. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter any of those things. This promise has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That means if you submit to the gospel of Jesus, that same Spirit that was dwelling in David, Moses, all these different things. That same spirit who created the entire universe, who sustains the entire universe, where all creatures, sea creatures, land animals, creatures of the air, we take our sustenance from this spirit. This same spirit finds his abode in our hearts because of Jesus. As Peter continues, and we're not going to be able to cover all of this, as Peter continues, this glorious promise, this blessing that 
the entire Old Testament, they were waiting and longing and self, salivating towards is ours. Not because we're special people, but simply because Jesus died for us. When we talk about the egregious sin that we have, the wicked rebellion before God, Jesus paid for all of that with his death. This gift of God's presence. Just think about this just, just a, a little bit more carefully. Because I know some of us, we did grow up in the church and we take things for granted. And for those of us who didn't grow up in the church, you may be confused. What's the difference between Christianity and other religions? Let me make this very clear to you. Other religions, every other religion, that God is going to demand his people to come to himself. That God is going to say, you come to me. I'm God, you're my lowly subject, you come to me. Our God, the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, the God of the gospel. Yes, he is holy, more majestic than all other gods. Those gods don't even exist. This God, our God, is holy, supreme, majestic. And yet the difference is, instead of him demanding that we come to him, he comes to us. He finds his abode in our hearts, not based on our abilities, not because we gave a lot of money to the church or because of the great family background that we have or because we are just, just great citizens and we take out our garbage and we shovel our snow when we're supposed to. It's not because of us. It's because of Jesus. He died for our sins. He paid for our penalty. We are wretched before God. Like I mentioned, our sentence is death. But guess who tasted that death for us? Guess who experienced that death for us? Jesus Christ. Because he took away our death, because he washed away our sins, God is saying this promise of him giving his very own spirit, his very own presence, has not been fulfilled on all flesh. All the time, permanently, until we see him face to face. Brothers and sisters, the reason why I trace the differences with the Old Testament is, do we realize this? how precious this gift is? Honestly, I think we need to repent. Because we take this gift, his very own presence, for granted. Just think about it. If you are home, wherever, and for, let's say, some celebrity visits your house. I know we're in the pandemic, so just pre-pandemic or post-pandemic. Let's say somebody very important comes into your house, is your visitor. Wouldn't you be thankful? Wouldn't your heart just respond a little different? Every single one of us would. We would at least offer this person water. We would at least clean up the house a little bit. We will at least think about what should we feed this person? We, we would at least think about is the temperature right in our house? We would think about all, we would be sensitive to the fact that this important figure is in our home. I, this Holy Spirit, God himself, is dwelling in all those who submit and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we consider that? Because the people of the Old Testament their eyes are with green envy towards the blessing that we have. Right now, the angels are wondering, oh my goodness, these people have been gifted with the actual abode of God permanently. And yet, when we live our lives, 
Why are we so, instead of so influenced by the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us, we are so influenced by circumstances. We're so influenced that we didn't get our way at work. We're so influenced, oh, like, I haven't slept in a few, I don't want to minimize those things. But in comparison to the gift that we have through Jesus Christ, we need to repent. That we don't, we don't, we're not reverential. The fact that God is in us forever, permanently. I also think we need to be encouraged. Not only should we repent, but we should be encouraged. Because if this presence of the Spirit does not depend on us, but depends on what Jesus has done for us, that means, brothers and sisters, those of us who feel lost, those of us who feel discouraged, those of us who feel like you don't know what's going on in your life, you feel like you've been rebelling, this promise is not based on how faithful, how loving you are. This promise is based on what Jesus has done for you. Simply submit and believe in that. And this promise is yours. Maybe you've had a really, really difficult day. When I say day, I say that metaphorically. Whether that day is a week, months, a year, a decade. Let's say you just had a miserable day. Work is so stressful, overwhelming. Relationships are going haywire. You feel horrible about yourself. You're experiencing physical concerns, health concerns, mental concerns, emotional concerns. And you just feel like you're so far and distant from God. But at the end of the day, Holy Spirit is permanently sealed, sealed with those who believe and what Jesus has done for them. That's it. All other religions are going to require you to go on that pilgrimage, to pay a bunch of money to the church or whatever. Scripture simply says, believe, trust, have faith in what Jesus has done, who He is. Holy Spirit is in, is in you. No matter what your day has been like, no matter how this previous year has been like, it doesn't matter. Holy Spirit never left you. And maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you, encouraging you, reassuring you to come back. So as we close, <clears throat> I want to give us an opportunity to just respond to this idea that this Spirit, who is God Himself, is on all flesh all the time. It is very unprecedented. It is something very precious that has only been brought about because of Jesus. As we respond, I do want to encourage us, if you have any prayer requests, prayers that you want to send through anonymously, feel free to text those away. If you have any questions, please continue to allow those things to trickle in. Uh, also, I want to shift our attention to offering and tithes as well. This is another way of responding. And again, this is why offering and tithe, I mean, it has to be a response. You never offer and give money because you're expecting something in return. It, you, God has already given us so lavishly. Giving and offering is always a response of gratitude, of worship. So this is also an appropriate way. 
Uh, for others, I do want to just give us an opportunity to just be still before God. As Terry reminded us, all of us, we want to pray, but it's hard. Life gets busy. It's distracting. That's why Sunday worship and community is so important because together we discipline ourselves and we pray together. So I just want to give us an opportunity to reflect upon what was mentioned and how the Spirit may be convicting you, whether to repent or whether to be encouraged. The fact that He is on all flesh all the time and it's all because of what Jesus has done on our behalf.